the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, uh, welcome everybody. Um, I'm your host, Al Fadi, and if you're just joining us right now, uh, this is uh, our um, radio show, Let Us Reason, a Christian Muslim dialogue with Al Fadi. And um, we uh, today are going to continue with a discussion that uh, we've started a couple of episodes ago related to sin and salvation by comparing and contrasting, of course, that doctrine between um, Islamic view on that and uh, um, the Christian view on the issue. And uh, today I would like at least to um, uh, remind uh, the listeners of what we talked about last time related to uh, whether the God of Islam loves sinners. And uh, basically the idea is that I'm trying to make a comparison here between um, the God of the Bible and the God of Islam when it comes to the issue of sin and salvation. So, there are many passages in the Quran that clearly will tell you as a follower of Islam or someone who doesn't follow Islam that the God of Islam does not really love just about anybody freely. He has usually love for certain groups and his love is conditional. And right there we see a um, basically a stark uh, contrast between him and the God of the Bible, simply because that's not what the Bible teaches about God when it comes to love. He is love himself, and his love was demonstrated to us uh, while we're still sinners. Christ died for us, according to what the Scripture teaches. But let us take a quick look, a reminder of a couple of the passages I shared last week, and uh, therefore we can um, uh, use them as, as a springboard uh, for today's episode. Uh, the first uh, one that I'm going to read comes from chapter 3 of the Quran, verse 32, and it says, Say, obey Allah and the Messenger, but if they turn away, lo, Allah loves not the disbelievers. So, right here, we see that there is a condition that obedient has to be to both God and the Messenger, which, by the way, I want to emphasize here that it's not just an easy thing to zip by when you're reading, if you're a Muslim. This passage and other passages like it are telling you very clearly that Muhammad is essential for your salvation. So you cannot say, I worship God only, because without obeying Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, therefore your faith is futile, meaningless. So right there we can see that Muhammad is in uh, uh, the prophet of Islam, 
is an important agent of salvation. Without him, a Muslim cannot be saved, which really, in an essence, he is the conduit of salvation to a Muslim follower. And I want to ask this question. How is that different then than when we say that Christ, who is actually God incarnate, we're not adding another person. He is God incarnate here, um, uh, is our Savior and Redeemer. And uh, that, that's something that I want to just put out there for us to think about, because at some point we are going to make such a comparison now and begin to see why Christ alone is the only um, uh, agent of our salvation and the salvation of all of humanity, for that matter. Let us look also at another passage in the Quran. In the same chapter, chapter 3, verse 57 says, And as for those who believe and do good work, he will pay them their wages in full. Allah loves not the wrongdoers. So there is the condition of belief, and then there is the condition of doing good works. And, and I'm going to ask this question. Only God knows the heart, so you may act as a believer, but that doesn't mean you are a believer. And only God knows the intention of the good works that you're doing. So you may look like you're doing something good, but it could be for personal and selfless, uh, selfish reasons versus selfless reasons. So uh, you really have to ask yourself, is this enough? In other words, am I just being loved by God simply because of what I may be doing or uh, how I'm feeling today? And this is uh, what yet another reason why the God of Islam is unpredictable versus the God of the Bible who is predictable. He reveals to us everything about his character, attitude, nature, so on and so forth, so that we would know how to uh, basically evaluate ourselves by the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit uh, in terms of uh, the changes that we are seeing in us and uh, God has already told us he loved us whether we were sinners or we are believers now. So that burden, at least, of fear that maybe he's not going to accept my work, he's not happy with me, I'm being punished, and so on and so forth, doesn't exist anymore. And back to our reminder, if we were to compare the Bible and biblical teaching now with what I just shared from the Quran, uh, you know, uh, John 3.16 is a powerful passage. You know, so God, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that who, whoever believes in him uh, shall have eternal life. See, the condition here is to believe in the work of God through our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. It's the belief in that that gives you eternal life, not your works. Your work is not necessary in here. And therefore, uh, that's right there uh, is a very important uh, element. Also, uh, Romans 5, uh, a passage uh, in there from verses 6 to 10, reads as follows. For why we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a powerful 
assurance and powerful passage here that the death of Christ happened not while we were cleaning up our act, but rather while we were still sinning against God. He demonstrated his love to us and towards us by dying on the cross without any condition here. Doesn't mean that only I'm going to die for you if you promise right now you're going to believe in what I'm going to do. Rather, I'm going to die for you, and now you have the choice if you want to believe. And then verse 9 says, Much more uh, then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's another reminder that the wrath of God has been revealed already, as Romans 1.18 tells us. So we are under condemnation already. So we will be saved from that when we believe in him and be justified by the power of the resurrection because now there is no legal obligations on us anymore. It's been paid already on the cross and therefore we are free from that debt, but that doesn't mean we are free to sin. You know, sometimes... uh, Muslims and others think that the death of Jesus on the cross means it's a green light for us to go sinning. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, even in Romans, in chapter 6, it talks about this very issue starting from the first verse. And in verse 10 here, in Romans 5, verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies, notice we were in the past, we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So there is no enmity now between us and God. We are now reconciled, the relationship. That's why Christianity, I want to emphasize it all the time, is not a religion. In fact, the whole argument of Romans is against religion and against doing the work of the law, but rather it is about restoring that relationship. So it is through that work on the cross that we were no longer considered to be enemies of God by belief, by faith, but rather by faith we become now reconciled to God through the work of the Son on the cross. Much more, the passage says, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So this is the huge contrast between the God of the Bible and the God of Islam. Nowhere in the Quran, nowhere in all of its more than 6,200 passages, you will read a single verse that teach you such a thing. In fact, the more you read about passages in the Quran related to salvation, the more troubled you will be because there is no assurance whatsoever. There is nothing other than promises that is conditional and threats of what might happen to those who do not make it. Now, let's talk then, in light of this that I just shared with you, why then do we need someone to intercede on our behalf? Why did we need such a thing? Now, we know what the Bible teaches related to the work of Christ as our intercessor. You know, in fact, uh, in 1 Timothy 2, verses 4 and 5, it says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So it's very clear that Jesus' work is to mediate, reconcile, restore the relationship, redeem those who are lost, and bring peace between man and God. 
after the fall. But the thing is, Muslims, as I was also, rejected the work of Christ completely on those terms and considered him only to be a prophet. In fact, not only a prophet, but a prophet whose mission has failed and failed miserably that the God has to interfere and rescue Jesus and ascend him to heaven. And now he'll be coming back later. His second coming is going to be the sign of end times, but he will no longer be the Jesus that the Bible talks about in his second coming. He will be a Muslim Jesus who will come back to restore and strengthen Islam and its teachings. So complete opposite of what the Bible teaches about Christ. But does Islam actually promote the idea that a Muslim person needs a mediator? Well, indeed it does, and it talks about it on uh, judgment Day. Here is, for instance, an example of that in one of those hadith collections in Sahih Muslim, the authentic collection of Muslim, basically. That's the name of the person who collected it. Book number one, hadith number 377. I'm going to read some portions of that. It says, it was narrated, basically, uh, by um, uh, someone. His name is uh, Hilal Al-Anazi. Um, Hilal al-Anazi basically said this, reported, they would come to Jesus. Who will come to Jesus? The people. The people of Muhammad, the Muslim people, will come to Jesus. In fact, this is a very long hadith that talks about the people going, starting from Adam and making their way down, the, basically, the line of prophets until they get to our Lord Jesus Christ, and they, will, they come to him, and he would say, I am not fit to do this. To do what? I am not fit to do intercession on your behalf. You better go to Muhammad. What a, what a sad statement. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by the Quran's own admission, who was sinless, lived sinless, ascended to heaven sinless, and will come back still sinless. He's not fit, but yet he's asking them to go to the Prophet of Islam, who by the Quran's own admission, sinned and asked God for forgiveness. So this is really baffling when you read something like this. Not to mention, uh, the, uh, uh, the hadith continues to say, they would come to me, meaning the Prophet Islam saying, now after Jesus told him this, they would come to me, and I would say, I am in a position to do that. To do what? To intercede on your behalf. I would go and ask the permission of my Lord, basically Allah, and it would be granted to me. So the Prophet is talking about what might happen on Judgment Day now. I'm not talking about something now. I'm talking about future thing. Okay? Then he proceeded to say, And I would then stand before him. The him here is referenced, the pronoun to God, Allah. And would extol him with praises which I am not able to do now, but with which Allah would inspire me. Then I would fall in prostration, and it would be said to me, O Muhammad, so God now will be talking to Muhammad and say, O Muhammad, raise thy head and say, and it would be listened to you. Ask, and it would be granted. Intercede, and it would be accepted. Then it will proceed, uh, later will say in this passage, intercede and intercession would be accepted. Then the Prophet of Islam says, I would say, my Lord, my people, my people. So the Prophet of Islam is saying, you know, I, I am really pleading here for my people, all right, the Muslim people. It would be said to me, go and bring out of the fire him who has in his heart 
as much faith as the smallest, smallest, smallest grain of mustard seed, I would go and do that. This thing that I just read, the hadith, is impregnated with things that I can probably spend episodes talking about. And I tell you why. First of all, it is really appalling to read that the prophet of Islam is more qualified than our Lord Jesus Christ to intercede when in fact Jesus is sinless and perfect in every way possible. Number two, and this is question now to my Muslim friends. Why do you need the Prophet of Islam to intercede on your behalf if you've already done good works to begin with and now your good work will be the way you'll be judged? Doesn't this tell you that your good deeds mean nothing to God, basically? You still need the Prophet of Islam as your agent of salvation? Doesn't that make the Prophet of Islam at the same status as God because it's through him you could be saved? Now, another thing I want to raise here. The God of Islam didn't tell the Prophet of Islam, bring those that are reaching out to you and I will allow them into paradise. He asked him to go to the hellfire and take out of the hellfire the Muslims who are there. What does that say about then the initial destiny of a Muslim? Doesn't this tell us that the initial destiny is hell and then the prophet of Islam now will try to rescue you out of hell because he, there is no promise that all of them will become. But it says conditionally that if you find one that has a, a, a faith as the grain of mustard, then you can bring him. It's almost like it sounds like the God of Islam is doubting that there'll be anyone in the hellfire that has that kind of faith. In fact, it's almost like taken out of the Gospels when our Lord Jesus Christ was telling his disciples that if you have, if any of you has a faith as a grain of uh, mustard, that you can move mountains, basically. And the Lord was talking about it in the here and now. He wasn't talking about it in the future. Not to mention, of course, oh, how many times we've heard that uh, this is another proof that the gospel has been corrupted because Jesus was talking about the mustard seed, which is not the smallest Yet here in the Hadith, it's actually the writer emphasized not only it's the smallest grain, it repeated the word smallest three times to emphasize that it's even literally the smallest, actually. The smallest, smallest, smallest grain of mustard seed. That is really interesting. But the main thing here, taking it back to the issue of sin and salvation, this tells me this. As a Muslim person, you're not guaranteed, first of all, that your work is going to save you. As a Muslim person, you are not going straight to heaven. As a Muslim person, you still need a human being to interfere on your behalf. So how is that difference then that between what we believe in, that Jesus was our intercessor, continues to, do, to be our intercessor, and his death on the cross is the only way for us to make it to heaven when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one. So where is this, uh, this idea that Jesus, who just told me that he is the way and no one will come to heaven except by him, all of a sudden he's changing his mind and saying, oh, I'm not even qualified, actually. That is absolutely amazing to read something like this. Here is more. If that wasn't troubling enough, let me say this. The God of the Bible tells us that he knows the heart of man. He understands the heart of man. The heart is 
um, basically uh, wicked. Uh, the heart is desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what uh, uh, basically Jeremiah 17.9 tells us. Who knows it? I, the Lord, it says. Our Lord Jesus Christ in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 2, says that he knew the heart of man. But here, there are teachings in the Quran, of course, that the work of man is actually recorded by angels. So angels will know your external work, and they will not know your internal work, and the God of Islam is going to rely on what the angels have written, basically, in order for him to judge you. Here's an example. Chapter 82, verse 10. But verily, over you are appointed angels to protect you, kind and honorable, writing down your deeds. They know and understand all that you do. How will they know it? By just watching what you're doing and recording. This was good, this was bad. So, apparently, the God of Islam really is not involved in knowing all things about you. And simply because he doesn't really want to be right here on earth, the God of Islam, I don't know if you know this or not, he's a God that is transcendent, literally, on the throne, seated on the throne in heaven. He is not around you right here. He doesn't, he's not present on earth, actually. His knowledge is present on earth, but that's about it. Nevertheless, you have angels now who are actually collecting data and giving it to God so he can judge you accordingly. Complete basically, difference between the God of the Bible who knows the heart of man and who judges man accordingly versus the God of the Quran. Furthermore, so what's going to happen now when the Prophet of Islam is going to bring people to make it to heaven? What's going to happen? Here is what we read, actually, in um, one of the, uh, you know, uh, the Hadith collections, Sahih al-Bukhari, another collection by the al-Bukhari, basically, that's his name. It is uh, in uh, um, book 9, uh, or volume 9, if you wish, uh, Hadith number 532. It says this, narrated by Abu Huraira, and a portion of that Hadith that I'm going to read says, Then a bridge will be laid across the hellfire, I, meaning Muhammad, and my followers will be the first ones to go across it. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means like a Muslim person, even if they're going to heaven, they still have to walk on this so-called straight path in order for them to make it to heaven. So you still have to pass over hell to make it to heaven. There is no guarantee whatsoever. And now let's read some of the commentaries on this. The need here, really, literally, for the Prophet's own intercession is evidence that most Muslims, it is important to have faith, submission, and obedience. And uh, still, this is not going to be sufficient for your salvation. So your faith, your good deeds, your obedience are not sufficient. You still need the Prophet's own intercession, even when they walk you to heaven. It also... Uh, basically tells us something. It is no wonder then that we come across issues related to what we hear lately in the news about suicide bombers and people who are willing to kill themselves and blow themselves up. I know it sounds strange, but when you think about it from a sin and salvation standpoint, 
I think all the pieces will fall together and we'll begin to understand that. I will leave this particular issue now to our next week episode. For now, I would like to really extend this invitation once again to my Muslim people who are listening to this. Is there anything here that you have just heard me share gives you even the slightest sense of salvation and sense of security? I I think the answer should be a resounding no way. And that's why I invite you to examine how the Lord, uh, his love was demonstrated for you on the cross and why he is the only one who's qualified to give you sufficiently salvation from the hellfire. As always, uh, you can always contact me through email at Sira Ministries, C-I-R-A, the word ministries, one word, Sira Ministries, plural, at gmail.com. I'm always uh, interested in hearing from you, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, follow us on this show. Uh, Yet another episode of Let Us Reason. Until we meet again next week, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.